The scripture reading today is from Jeremiah 29, verses 1 through 14. The prophet Jeremiah sent a letter from Jerusalem to the few surviving elders among the exiles, to the priests and the prophets, and to all the people Nebuchadnezzar had taken to Babylon from Jerusalem. The letter was sent after King Jeconiah, the queen mother, the court officials, the government leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, and the craftsmen and smiths had left Jerusalem. It was delivered to Babylon by Elisa, Shaphan's son, and Gemariah, Hilkiah's son, two men dispatched to Babylon's King Nebuchadnezzar by King Zedekiah. The Lord of heavenly forces, the God of Israel, proclaims to all the exiles I have carried off from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and settle down. Cultivate gardens and eat what they produce. Get married and have children. Then help your sons find wives and your daughters find husbands in order that they too may have children. Increase in number there so that you don't dwindle away. Promote the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because your future depends on its welfare. The Lord of heavenly forces, the God of Israel, proclaims, don't let the prophets and diviners in your midst mislead you. Don't pay attention to your dreams. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I didn't send them, declares the Lord. The Lord proclaims, when Babylon's 70 years are up, I will come and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. I know the plans I have in mind for you, declares the Lord. They are plans for peace, not disaster. To give you a future filled with hope. When you call me and come and pray to me, I will listen to you. When you search for me, yes, search for me with all your heart, you will find me. I will be present for you, declares the Lord, and I will end your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have scattered you, and I will bring you home after your long exile, declares the Lord. The word of the Lord. Take a moment now for silent reflection. Good morning, friends. My name is Emily McGinley, uh, and if you talk about me, you can use the pronouns she, her, and hers. Uh, I have the great joy of serving as your senior pastor. Let us pray. God, we thank you for the gift to come together um, on this day, uh, to have had hopefully a good night's sleep, um, and to be present in this space. And so we ask God that um, <clears throat> that we might be fully present. That. Uh, that your spirit would clear away the things that are cluttering our hearts and our minds so that we might hear what it is that you are whispering in our ear, that we might open ourselves to your transformative work and find ourselves renewed um, for your purposes um, in this community and in this city that you love so deeply. We pray all of this with gratitude and in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So usually when people study this passage, they leave out the first few verses that we um, uh, uh, read. Um, thank you to Kelly for um, 
running through the gauntlet of those um, names. Uh, <laughs> they leave out these first few verses and they jump to that kind of lovely part in the middle, right? So perfect for your Christian wall art. For I know the plans I have in mind for you, declares the Lord. They're plans for peace, not disaster, to give you a future filled with hope. It's very nice, right? Very inspiring. The thing is, though, that uh, for those who were the original recipients of this inspirational quote, it was actually a pretty bitter pill to swallow. These folks weren't walking on the beach pondering their future in the warm light of the sunset. No, they were being forcibly removed from their homes and everything that they held dear and true and familiar, like the families that fled the bombs in Ukraine um, or the climate refugees making their way to less hostile environments. These Israelites did not want to go, right? They were being relocated in order to... um, to, uh, to, to feed the needs of a benevolent colonizer, King Nebuchadnezzar. And believe it or not, King Nebuchadnezzar was actually a progressive thinker for his day. Instead of invading villages, pillaging homes, and massacring bodies, all he did was steal their future and rob them of hope. And you can re- only really appreciate this if you actually pay attention to those first few verses in our passage for today. They feel like throwaways, right? But they're actually important clues that not only illuminate the political realities of the day, not unlike, uh, they, they help us understand kind of what's going on. And so um, not unlike someone who might be referring to January 6, 2021, anyone reading this passage back in the day would know exactly what was being said. So let's take a closer look. The prophet Jeremiah sends this letter from Jerusalem, the center of Israel's uh, civic and religious identity. He sends this letter to all the exiles in Babylon, but especially the few surviving elders, which is to say the people who hold the memory of their identity, culture, and practices. The priests and the prophets, which are the ones who speak spiritual truth, who make meaning and remind them of God's promises, and all the people who had been relocated. Um, the, the forcibly removed, the ones who were really kind of worth keeping, right? And this is an important detail, this last piece, because it's, what it's saying is that not everyone was relocated. There are some folks who were left behind on purpose. King Nebuchadnezzar was looking for the best, the brightest, and the most influential to not only serve and grow the economy of Babylon, but also suppress any threats, When you systematically remove the leadership and implement a brain drain on a minority group, you effectively eliminate any threats of insurrection or rebellion. So that's who. But then there's also the when. This letter is sent after the king of Judah, Jeconiah, his mom, his administration, the governmental leaders of both Judah and Jerusalem, and the technological leaders, those are like the craftsmen and the smiths, right? Um, the technological leaders, um, after they have all vacated the capital, which means that any hope of retaining even some semblance of power or possibility of self-determination had been extinguished. The bottom line is that the first three verses of this letter speak a hard truth. Things will never be what they once were. The future you thought you would have, the future you were promised maybe even, it's gone. Settle in because things are not going to get any better anytime soon. But, of course, this is just the beginning of the letter, right? (laughs) There are 29 whole verses that follow, so God's not done. This letter promises that in the midst of a disrupted present and an uncertain future, there is a way that can be made. It will take resources, 
It will take capacity. And above all, it will take time, 70 years at least, which is to say the ones who are alive now probably are not going to be alive then. And this and time today is what we're talking about. Now this month, as you've already heard a few times uh, from our liturgists and um, from Sarah, um, this month we're beginning a new sermon series to explore the things that make up this frustrating, beautiful, messy, and marvelous mishmash of people we call church. And so today and over the next few weeks, um, we'll explore this, not only through the lens of scripture, but also by reflecting on the three resources that Christian communities across generations have utilized to build their communities, time, talents, and treasure. These are the key ingredients for creating community. But as one of our elders, uh, Rhonda, reminded me, this is not what church is, right? The church is the people and the people bound together in God's love. So just to be clear about that. But these ingredients for creating community are what God is saying that these exiles need and what we all need, really, to contribute to move forward into an uncertain future. Excuse me. Now, if you were with us a few weeks ago, you would have the opportunity to celebrate and thank Hillary Winchell for her years of volunteerism and care for the children of our church. Over 13 years and alongside many others, Hillary helped to shape the spiritual and theological imaginations of some of our youngest disciples here at City Church. And I had a chance to hang out with them in a classroom um, a couple of months ago before I was installed. And let me tell you, those three and four-year-olds will really give you a run for your theological money. They were relentless in asking about why Adam and Eve had to wear clothes after they got in trouble. Now, Perhaps they, too, felt the injustice of having to get dressed when running around in your God-given birthday suit ought to be enough for anyone. And to be fair, they, there are, I would admit, uh, very few natural wonders which invite us into the mystery of God like a belly button. Um, so, you know, they have a point. But not long after that visit, Hillary mentioned to me, um, kind of in passing, that, that the children's ministry had actually, um, here at City Church, had played a significant role in her faith life over the years. And as she shared with me, I knew that her story was one that we could all be enriched by hearing. Now, Hillary has hardly ever missed a Sunday, and so we should feel especially honored that she has agreed to join us this morning. So let's all welcome Hillary as she comes up. I've always kind of hoped that maybe I would have an opportunity to scratch my inner Oprah itch, um, and so we have this opportunity today. Um, thank you, Hillary, for being a, a guinea pig on this. Um, now, first thing is, uh, we need to know, um, what is your worst sin? <laughs> yeah. I think, yeah. The conservative evangelical church I grew up in would say lust, right? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Well, we'll save that for the story feed. <laughs> yeah. um, so anyhow, uh, tell us the story about what brought you uh, to children's ministry at City Church. Um, yeah. So um, I first started attending Ch- uh, City Church in 2006. Um, the first few years I was here, I came very inconsistently and sporadically. Um, I was like severely depressed, dealing with a lot of anxiety, like due to some like failures I'd experienced a few years before. Um, and um, when I did come, there were a lot of Sundays where I would like intentionally get here um, like 15 minutes late. I would try to find a spot up in the balcony as far away from people as possible in hopes that no one would talk to me. Mm. And I would leave as soon as the service was over. And my goal, like every Sunday, was to get out without talking to anyone. 
Um, and then in like the spring of 2009, I kind of started to like emerge from the depression. And um, I kind of like got overwhelmed by all of these things in my life that it felt like needed to be fixed. Um, but I wasn't able to fix by myself. And so I tried to kind of like surrender those things to God. Um, but I was still in fix-it mode. And I had really been struggling a lot professionally for many years. And so um, I kind of came up with this plan that um, I was going to pack up and go back to Washington, D.C., where I had gone to school. And I actually had like a full plan laid out. And um, my plan was by the end of the summer, I was going to go there and like leave the Bay Area and pretty much never look back. And like in mid-August, something inside me said like stop. And it felt like bigger than my usual apprehension to change. And so I decided to give it a few months here, more months here. I had like three things that were going to be the test of whether I should stay or not. Um, and if any of those things happened in the next three months, then that was the sign I should stay. And, um, and one of my reasons for like thinking maybe I should stay in the Bay Area was City Church. So I decided that if I was going like over the next few months, I needed to show up more at City Church. I wasn't sure what that was going to look like other than maybe just coming to church more often than like once every three months. Um, and in late September, I um, helped at an event called that we used to do called Parents Night Out. And at the end of the night, I was doing small talk like with the children's ministry director at the time. And as we were talking out of nowhere, like the words, do you need any more teachers right now came out of my mouth. <laughs> and, and he was shocked and I was shocked, but he said, yes, I do. Um, and um, and I, do you, are you interested? And I said, yes, I am. And then I remember I walked out and walked back to my car and I was like, oh no, if I do this, I might be stuck here past February. Um, and, um, but I also had this sense it would be okay. And so I started in children's, helping in children's ministry, children's ministry um, two weeks later. And I've been there almost every Sunday since. Um, I wasn't quite sure what I was going to be doing. I think initially I just thought I'll show up maybe once or twice a month and make sure kids don't hurt themselves uh, or get lost. Um, but a few weeks in, like my first teaching partner and also the children's ministry director said, we think you should tell a story next week. And so I told the story and something inside me just like clicked. And I thought like, this feels right. This is something I should be doing. And I was like also fortunate that the first teaching team I was on, um, we made a commitment that we would be there like every Sunday we were able to for the kids, regardless of whether we were on the schedule or not. Hmm. And so that like got me to church every Sunday. Um, and that's something that's like been beneficial for me. And I think also extremely beneficial in just like giving consistency to the children that I've taught through the years. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. yeah. So um, you mentioned that there were like three things that, that were gonna be the sign. Yeah. Um, you're still here. Yes. So, did those three things pan out? Not a single one happened in those three months. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I'm still here, yeah. Well, you're still here, yeah. yeah. And now, 13 years is, is a long time. Like, um, that's enough for your, like, a baby to become a teenager, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so uh, it's easy to kind of, I think, like, gloss over the fact that, um, you know, like, oh, it was just this chunk of time and never think about sort of 
that actually things are happening in the world and in your life during that time. And so, um, you know, were there moments in your years of service when, like, you wanted to, to quit or you were sort of like, oh, maybe it's time for me to, like, step back? Um, and what kept you going? Right. So, yeah, there were, like, two points. Um, the first was in 2013. And at that point, I was actually, like, seriously considering leaving City Church altogether. And what was kind of, like, going on for me at that point was, like, um, by, like, March 2013, the two people I was closest to on staff at City Church were no longer on staff. And um, it kind of felt like the people I could count on the most in the church were gone. Mm. And um, I was, like, seriously questioning whether or not I could continue going to church here. Um, ultimately, like, I decided to stay um, because when I looked up back at my story up to that point, um, it was, like, city church and serving in children's ministry at the very least had, like, significantly changed the tra trajectory of my life. And there were also ways in which both had kind of saved my life. Mm. Um, and so because of those two things, um, I decided, like, I need to keep showing up for the church. And I also had this class of like 35, four to five year olds who were counting on me to be at, there for them each Sunday morning. And I also mm. felt like I needed to keep on showing up for them. Mm. And um, the other point like where I was considering our leaving or quitting children's ministry was in like um, 2015. And what kind of led up to that was um, between 2013 and 2015, um, there was, like, a lot of staff turnover in children's ministry. Um, there were a lot of, like, changes happening and demands for changes that um, I didn't always agree with or sometimes even questioned whether they were um, best for the kids. Yeah. Um, and so those things kind of, like, combined with um, other dynamics of, like, serving in children's ministry at the time were causing me, like, a lot of stress and anxiety to the point that, like, by the time early 2015 rolled around, I was just feeling very emotionally drained mm -hmm. and even burned out. And it was painful for me to think of quitting, but um, I wasn't sure that it was like good for me to continue when I was feeling like that. And I was even more concerned that it wasn't like good for the kids mm -hmm. for me to continue like that. And so like in May 2015, um, this email came out from a new person who was stepping into the role of children's ministry director and like she was all excited about starting and she was laying out her plans and I read it and this was like what you might call like my third children's <clears throat> ministry regime change like in two years <laughs> and I read it and I was just like I'm done like I'm not doing this again um, I'm going to finish out this class that I have through the end of the summer and then I'm done and then a few weeks later, after um, her first like official Sunday in the job, I got an email from the new children's ministry director, who is actually Barbara Lyon, our current children's ministry director. And she basically said to me, like, um, hey, you know, I know I've been making a lot of changes. I know they might be hard for you. So um, let's get together. I want to talk them through with you. I want to get your feedback. Um, so I went and met with her, like, you know, not quite sure how it was going to be. And um, as we were talking, like, through things, I got to see um, that, um, I got to see that when she was making decisions about how she wanted to do things, she was taking in, 
that even though like maybe she was coming to a different decision than I would, she was taking into consideration all the things that I would want her to. And especially like the, the thing that was most important to her was like, how is this gonna affect the kids? Is, is this gonna be best for the kids? And as we were talking, it was just like um, this like sense of peace just kind of like washed over me and like this weight got lifted from me and I had this sense, okay, like this is going to be okay. And, um, and I don't have to quit. And I, I will say the funny thing is, is that all of, the, like all of these new changes that she was making are things like I'm a big fan of now. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good lesson for all of us in the midst of transition. Um, one of the things that I think is really powerful to think about is how like, so 2012 and then 2015, 16 was when you were kind of thinking. Yeah. Um, like all those kids are like in middle school yeah. and early high school right now. Yeah. Um, and those are kids whose lives um, you might have never touched. And in fact, if you have heard much about our, our um, youth group, it has like exploded over the last year or so. Um, and so probably there are a lot of kids who are in that, those classes that you um, had touched over the, uh, spiritually, um, over the course of, of, those, um, of those years. Um, so I, I just love like, this sort of like there are these moments when you're like you know what I'm I might leave and like now you have this this you know ability to kind of look back and say like oh here are, here are the the now no longer quite children um, that I I once once taught um, I also love how in your story like there's this stuff that's kind of happening in you at the same time right like that when we serve others it's not just me pouring out and giving and giving, um, but that the work of service to the community also kind of does something within, within us. And so I'm kind of curious, like, how has your journey as a children's minister um, over the years shaped your own understanding of God and God's faithfulness? Yeah, so I mean, I grew up, like, going to church every Sunday, so it was like I knew all the stories, but I also grew up, like, in this, um, you know, conservative evangelical context where, like, God was kind of reduced to your ticket to heaven. Hmm. And so um, I think, um, and in children's ministry here at City Church, we, all, uh, we always kind of like f through the year followed like the narrative of scripture, which is something I actually didn't really have a concept of until I got to City Church. And so it's kind of like, um, I've, I've had these, it's been helpful to me just to like, just um, get to, you know, tell and, and relearn the stories just at their most basic level, you know, like at a level I can, um, I can share with like three to five-year-olds. Mm -hmm. And um, that's, without any like commentary or analysis, that's been helpful to me. Um, having these like 10 plus years now of like every year just kind of going through um, the, um, the narrative of scripture has been helpful, mm -hmm. you know, starting just like with a loving God creating a good world out of love, mm -hmm. and then all of the different plot points throughout that narrative of, you know, God being at work in the world and God raising up people to, like, restore and redeem the world um, has been helpful to me. And I'll also say that um, the children have also helped me, too. Like, their thoughts and questions have um, very much um, mm. helped me to see and understand God better and also just to, like, just be mindful of, like, seeing God who, for who God really is. Um, which has been helpful to me, like in my own times when I've been feeling uncertain or worried about things. Mm. 
Um, and um, yeah, I mean, I'll say about faithfulness, um, um, I did make this commitment early on, which I stuck to, which is to be um, in children's worship every Sunday, um, except for if I'm out of town or a children's ministry director says, you're taking next Sunday off. Um, but <laughs> but um, I have this line that I usually say some variation of um, before I tell the story to the younger kids, which is... Um, Right now, we're in a very special place because this is where we get to worship God by listening, and God meets us here while we're doing that. And so I think, like, the combination of being here every Sunday and, um, and also um, um, has, you know, just helped me see a lot of ways that, like, God has, like, met me and showed up for me mm. um, here. I mean, it's definitely, you know, happens um, in telling stories, like, um, telling, like, being a storyteller and serving in children's ministry has been, for me, like, given me a space where I get to live, like, into my truest self. Um, and, um, and I also, like, um, have made a commitment since I started in children's ministry that every Sunday I'm here, I'm also in worship. When we had more than one service, that meant going to a service before or after. Um, now it's kind of a hybrid form, but I feel like... Um, that's also, when I look back at my story, I see like, you know, God showing up for me when like I'm telling stories um, in, the, in like, you know, the larger service here, like God has also like met me in the songs and the sermons and in a community group and in like many, many people here at City Church. Yeah. And kind of like, you know, when, when I am going through a difficult time, I can kind of reflect back on it and see like, you know, okay, God showed up, up for me at these points. So maybe I can trust that God will show up for me now. Mm. So the, the children's ministry kind of kept you anchored, even though it, it didn't always directly kind of have anything specifically to do with your community group, for yeah, example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but sort of like that deeper obligation. Yeah. Um, so kind of last question is, what's one thing that, that um, that's important for you, like kind of a, a guiding um, principle or, or um, a just Im important thing that you want to convey um, uh, in your role as a children's minister? Um, yeah, so I think, um, yeah, you know, my hope for them as they're growing is just that um, they'll, they'll um, just, um, like, never question, they'll, they'll, they'll believe that God, and trust that God loves them no matter what, and that that's something they'll never question. Mm -hmm. um, when I was, like, um, had the hardest point in my life where I was experiencing these failures, um, I, my first impulse was to be like, you know, angry with God, but I grew up in a church believing that like, it wasn't okay to be angry with God. It wasn't okay to question God. Um, and God didn't love you if you weren't perfect. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, like my hope for them is just that, yeah, they'll never question that, that, um, you know, if they're going through a hard time, that they'll feel free to be like as emotionally authentic with God in those moments, you know, as they are or were with their parents, like when they were two, three, and four, and that, you know, they'll know that like God will still love them if they're angry or they're sad or they're asking God like, what's going on? Why is this happening? You know, but I think like it's also hard because I'm teaching them when they're very young. And so it's like, very kind of like intangible, like, you know, what exactly they're going to 
take away and remember um, many years from now. So, I mean, yeah, I think about like one of my earliest church memories is actually being in a two-year-old class, um, sitting at a table. Um, the, the teachers, Mr. and Mrs. Hewlett, were giving us all like vanilla wafers and Kool-Aid, which was exciting because I didn't get stuff like that at home. And I just remember like um, feeling safe, mm. which was not something that I always felt at home. And so, um, and so, you know, it's hard to tell. I hope that, you know, maybe, you know, they'll, they'll like always feel loved by God, but maybe they'll also have like this sensory feeling of like, mm. you know, always feeling safe here, hopefully, yeah. Mm, that's beautiful, thank you. Um, so one thing that's really struck me about Hillary's journey is how uh, in the process of helping the children discover a spiritual home for themselves, she also ended up kind of finding a home for herself. Um, and so much of my own experience of community has looked like versions of this, like diving in, lending a hand, and then finding a place in the midst of that, um, a place where you sort of feel like, this is, I own this little plot, right? Um, or I know, know how to navigate it. Um, but the thing that was especially powerful to me is just like the time, right? When Hillary stood up here a few weeks ago, Barbara invited all of those who had participated in her classes um, to wave their hands. And like in the back, I looked back, in the back stood these like budding young women and men, uh, many of whom are like taller than her now. <laughs> it's not that hard to get taller than me. <laughs> <laughs> but definitely taller than her. Children who are now on their way to adulthood um, who might one day have children of their own, or who knows, maybe find themselves volunteering in children's ministry somewhere else, on and on in this wondrous chain. So much of what it means to be church is about journeying together through time, through seasons that feel abundant and overflowing, as well as those that feel dry and maybe a little bit aimless. That experience of wandering, of wondering, and weaving our stories in and out of that the marvelous and mundane of, what, of life together. That is what it takes to build community and to build a community. It takes time to forge a future and to find our way together. So today we are launching our first ever stewardship campaign here at City Church. And this is an invitation to enter into the spiritual discipline of reflecting deeply about your resources and prayerfully considering how you are called to be part of what God is doing here at City Church through your time, your talents, and your treasure or money. After worship, we'll be holding a members meeting here in this space. Um, and in spite of the title, actually, the meeting isn't limited to official members. It's for anyone who considers this to be the place where they want to be part of God's bigger story. We'll have a link for those who are joining us online to be able to do that as well. So at this meeting, you'll have an opportunity to hear about and celebrate what God has been up to among us over this past year um, and pray for those who have been shepherding those ministries. You'll also learn about how our financial budget is allocated across those ministries. Um, you can ask questions. You can reflect on how you might participate in the future that God is forging here at City Church and beyond, even as that future for some of you might begin to feel a little bit uncertain, right? This year, we're actually celebrating um, 25 years um, of City Church. And over that time, we've done some really wonderful things and also like maybe some cringy things, right? Um, we started out with a vision that was both faithful and maybe also faulty. Um, uh, Fred touched on this a bit in his farewell sermon, right? But that's not what it, but that's kind of what it means to be a human community over time, right? To make mistakes and then try to make it right. 
to fail each other and then try to do better next time, to relinquish a future that maybe you thought you were going to have and move in the direction of the one that God is beckoning us toward, even if it is uncertain. But if we're honest and with our deepest selves, we will admit that, you know, maybe God never actually promised us certainty to begin with. <laughs> Things rarely unfold in the ways that we would have imagined or if we're especially honest, would have preferred. But even in those moments when we feel like all of our best laid plans, uh, maybe the three things that we were saying, okay, God, I will be faithful to you if you're faithful to me in this, even if all of that falls apart, more often than not, that's actually when something new and totally different from what we could have ever imagined is given space to emerge. When we let go of my best plan, right? that allows our hands to be filled with something else. It's true, this can be incredibly disorienting. And even so, God has made it abundantly clear that while at times we may feel lost, we will never be forsaken. If we feel lost, that's okay, because God will never forsake us. And because of this, no matter what happens or where we find ourselves, we are called to seek the welfare of our communities in the midst of it all, bit by bit, step by step. Now here at City Church, this concept to seek the welfare of the city remains as central today as it did in 1997, even if our understanding of what that means really has been deconstructed a little bit. Because God doesn't call us to perfection, God calls us to faithfulness. And the longer I pastor, the more I see how the path of faith is most often made by walking it. You can have a map, but all it can do is show you a potential way forward. God is urging us to promote life wherever we find ourselves. And for those of us who call City Church their spiritual home or want to call it their spiritual home, that means giving, serving, and contributing in whatever ways are ours to do so to invest in a future that we may not see clearly, but we can move toward faithfully, bit by bit, step by step. In time, and only in time, over time, God promises to make a garden out of anything that we plant, to turn a house that we build into a home, and even maybe transform a wafer and a cup of juice into a means of grace and a symbol of love. Let's pray. God, we are thankful that you journey with us over time, that you make a way where there seems to be no way, that you help us to experience your grace, your love, security, your possibility, and even the most mundane of things. We thank you for Hillary, for her story, and what that can show us about ourselves. And we thank you for all of the folks many, many, many people who have served this church, this community faithfully over time to very little fanfare, but to great faithfulness and have been able to encounter you in powerful and wonderful ways to help us make a home out of our house, to help a garden bloom where we plant and to find you in the ordinary things of life together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.